Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hi guys, I'm so glad you're here today. I get a lot of folks you know that I get to talk to from all over the world, and this one is a special one. I had a colleague and friend of mine just write a wonderful book called Restored, A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Pornography. And I am really pleased to welcome a woman who's really working on this issue and understands it well. Welcome, Alice Taylor. Thank you. Um, It's really good to be here. And where are we? Where are you? I'm in Sydney, Australia. Here you are all the way in Australia, which is on the other side of the world. And let me ask you this before we even get into your issues. Do you live in a more conservative culture around sex than America? Do you know, like most of us would say that um, Americans are fairly conservative around sex. And while there are a lot of, you know, folks have very liberal ideas and beliefs as a country, as a nation, we're pretty conservative. You know, we don't uh, walk around nude. We don't, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We just have more stuff with sex than maybe a lot of nations do. How is it in Australia, and just in general? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar. I think generally Australia tends to be like, I don't know, maybe five or ten years behind the US um, in terms of like cultural stuff. Uh, So I think we are still quite conservative and definitely in my personal circles and where I've grown up and very conservative and can be very rigid in that conservative belief as well, which is quite damaging, um, which I know personally, from my own experience. And we'll talk about that, um, definitely. I really want to talk about that. But what you're saying is that, that like the US, um, Australia has a kind of a broad-based, people are very broad in their views on sexuality, and maybe the more urban you get uh, and the more educated you get, the more liberal you get. And when you get to more rural areas, people tend to be more conservative. I remember Hannah Gadsby. Have you ever seen her, uh, Nanette, her show? Oh, yes. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, big fan of Nanette. And if anyone, by the way, listening hasn't seen Hannah Gadsby on Netflix, I highly recommend that she did a show called Nanette, which really speaks to gender and sexuality and orientation. It does speak to sex in Australia. And what she talks, <laughs> I think homosexuality was outlawed until 1997 or something like that. That sounds about right. So um, yeah, you're a little behind the times in those ways. But yeah. but that has, but and this is important because the nature of the culture you live in isn't just related to the country you live in, right? As you were just talking about, for you and many other folks that I work with, it has more to do with the culture that you live in within your country. And you lived in a particular, particularly conservative culture. Do you want to, or grew up in, or can you say more about that? Yeah. So I, I was raised in uh, a conservative Christian home 
And yeah, we really didn't have discussions about sex or any of those kind of hard topics. Did you grow up in a rural area or an urban area or We lived kind of in the middle. We lived like right right in you know on the suburbs along the beach. Mm-hmm. Um so oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> it was amazing. I loved it. <laughs> I miss the beach now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was that very, you know, my parents were also a little bit older than a lot of my friends' parents. They had kids later on in life, so they had that extra couple of years to be more conservative with. Become more cautious and more more conservative. Yep. So we were talking about religion, and, and, and or you mentioned it in terms of a conservative culture. Is Was that part of the upbringing? I, I don't know. It doesn't matter what religion it was, but did that influence your parents, what you call conservatism as well? Yeah. Both my parents were, like, they, they weren't just nominal Christians. They were very active in their faith. Related to their spiritual lives, yes. Yeah, and so you know, it mm-hmm. it had many great benefits for them, but just had a major issue with talking about sex and sexuality. And wait, I'm going to play. I'm going to play naive now. I'm going to play like I don't know the answer to this. Okay, why is that a problem? Why do you do find it to be a problem? You know, I know. I, I mean, I think I know the reasons. But if parents choose to not bring up sexual issues with their kids, they want to discover them, discover it sort of natively and. You know, I don't really believe in this. I think you need to educate children. But nonetheless, I can understand that you kind of want your child to find their sexuality. You don't necessarily want to lead them to it. And especially if you have the spiritual or religious beliefs that are really guiding you, then you might make choices that are different than, let's say, your average person. But how was that negative for you? Or why? What was the problem? In my experience, I did have questions at a fairly young age. um, And they were, you know, healthy, normal curiosities about sex and bodies. What's a pee-pee and why do boys have them yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, there were some uh-huh. of them they answered. But as, as I got a little older, you know, 12, 13, it started to really matter to me. They got scared and their reaction was, no, <laughs> no, no. The Bible says, no, sex is for marriage. Think about it when you're married. I was like, well, it doesn't help me now. I'm 12 and I'm horny. <laughs> help. <laughs> well, first of all, you said something really important. I want to say, yeah, actually 12-year-olds get horny. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's just a comment right there. Kids think they're, many parents forget that we're sexual beings far younger than we are ready to have sex, but we're still sexual beings. Yeah. And girls, you know, little Christian girls, they get feelings. <laughs> I can attest to that. So you wanted answers and you didn't get them. I didn't get them and it was frustrating and I was curious. So I went and found my answers and I found them on dial-up internet, slow as hell, but I still pushed through and I found porn and it filled the blanks that my parents left and it was a much less safe way for me to learn about sex because I had this whole, whole online world full of amazing and terrible things. At what age? So that was when I was 12, 11, 12. And that's where I learned my vocabulary. And that gave me more words that I could put into Google. And I kept learning and learning. Because it was exciting and fun and interesting and, and yeah, yeah, all that. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Um, and I became really fascinated and really hooked on it because it made me feel all these things. And what do you mean hooked? And I'm going to keep pushing here. So what do you mean by hooked on it? What does that mean for you? I kept going back every day. You know, as soon as mom and dad were out, I was like, yes, I can go look at porn. Well, I mean, I didn't know what it was porn, but. So now you're 13, 14. How long did this continue? 11 and 13. It was like, you know, every day. Um, and I was constantly fantasizing. I was learning what masturbation was. Still didn't have any words for all of this. It was just exciting. Did your parents know what was going on? If they did, they didn't do anything about it. 
I don't think I don't think they had any idea. They they thought that I was just, you know, their little girl. A good girl. Yeah, I was a good girl. Um, so they had no idea. And I was very sneaky. <laughs> and I want to say a couple of things for folks just off the top, because I don't want any of this to particularly turn you off or confuse you. It is absolutely true. Um, I can tell you after treating people for 25 years with sexual issues and working with a lot of folks who have them uh, and working with a lot of peers who understand them, that when you when you don't introduce sex, healthy sexuality into a child's language, when you either shame them around sex or tell them it's bad or they shouldn't have those feelings or for whatever reason, you don't discuss it, you don't want to get into it, you don't want them to understand, and then you kind of push them away when they're curious, that creates problems for them. And uh, I, I'm breaking this down in here with Alice because she's being kind enough to let me. You have to understand that the best, best way to protect your children from pornography online is to talk to them about what it is when they're four and five and seven and 14, because then they will come to you and say, I saw this thing online. And I think it's what you talked to me about. And I don't feel good about it, or I do feel good about it, as opposed to hiding it. And we do absolutely, certainly in America, see more people with sexual problems coming out of very conservative environments only because they don't, they, they have skewed views and skewed opportunities to learn about sex. And then when they learn by themselves, but the kind of connection to their family is this is bad, this is wrong, this is shameful, but they like it, it makes them feel like there's something wrong with them for their even pleasure in this area. And it becomes a secret. And all of that sounds kind of like what you were dealing with. Yeah, totally. I mean, in hindsight, I look back and think, you know, if only I just had the words, that's porn that's masturbation. There's no shame that you saw that or you liked it, that it's exciting, but it's for adults. And maybe if you want to learn, here's a relevant children's book, or <laughs> here's just a conversation with mom. That's not awkward, you know, but. You longed for that. That's interesting. You longed for, some kids are ashamed. I got to want to talk to mom about that. But at younger years, you longed for a parent to come to you and say, this is how your body works. And this is how, it, what it means. It sounds like. So what did, now you're, we're backtracking. We don't actually know what your problems were or what you were challenged by. We just know how you look back on the sort of origins of it, but how did it play out for you? How did you end up needing help and deciding you were going to help others? Yes, it's a, a long story because it started when I was 12. But the recognition that you were going to, that, that there was a place to go, that this was an issue, that it was a problem, it wasn't just you. How did you figure that out? Yeah. So that didn't really happen until I was about 20. I kind of laid off the porn a little um, in my like higher high school years because I was very distracted by real boys, real relationships and all of that. Also, I was bullied terribly for years on end. Um, and that is a major part of how I became, you know, later on in life when I was about, you know, 18, 19, 20, that played a major part in how I become really dependent on porn to survive and to escape. What do you mean survive and escape? You mean it doesn't let you down? It doesn't disappoint you. It will never call you a bad name. It will never say you're too too fat or too thin. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I was bullied so badly. I, I hated myself. My boyfriend in high school, I witnessed him being assaulted. Uh, and that later on, it was about five years later, I was diagnosed with physical assault. Sexually assaulted or like a, a physical altercation? Yeah. They waited at his house and came out and beat the crap out of him. And my I was there. I was the only witness. And my trauma response was to freeze. And so a lot of guilt comes with that in the years to come. You mean that you didn't do more, try to help more? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so a lot of self-hatred. Uh, and I just, it all, you know, the bullying, um, you know, that assault, the PTSD, it just all kind of tumbled out of control. 
Uh, and by the time I was 18... Um, I'm interrupting you because what you're talking about is trauma. You're talking about big and small little traumas that occurred all along the way. And by the time you were 18... By the time I was 18, I was a vulnerable mess, desperate for intimacy, affection, you know, safe, physical touch, loving touch. So I entered into the first relationship with the first guy that gave me some attention. And he was awful to me. Not your best choice, huh? No, definitely not. But I was in like emotional survival mode. And how would you even have known how to make a good choice? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had no idea. I was a mess. That relationship really was the last straw that threw me back into the arms of porn uh, once it ended because um, he was really like emotionally abusive towards me, made me feel dependent on him and totally incompetent in anything in life. Uh, he pressured me into having sex despite knowing that I actually wanted to wait until I was married. I got to stop there because that will confuse everybody. So here you are, because I got a text. It makes sense to me knowing who I treat. And so <laughs> yep. you're looking at porn. By the time you're yep. 19, 18, you're looking at all kinds of porn. You know everything there is about it. So you're seeing three holes, five windows, whatever it all is. And then, but you're a virgin. Yeah. I guess that is pretty weird, hey? <laughs> it's not weird. It's just, it's notable mm. that while you lost yourself to sexual behavior as a form of, I guess, distracting yourself, soothing yourself, comforting yourself, whatever that was, it wasn't actually the the sex with people that was a problem for you. It was disconnecting from people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in the end, it really wasn't about the sex. It was it was about seeking comfort and intimacy and escape. Yeah, I still wanted to wait. <laughs> so how did you figure out you had a problem and you needed some help? My porn use escalated once our relationship finished because I just felt even more broken than before. And, and I was also trying to figure out, okay, that sex was terrible. In hindsight, he'd watched a lot of porn and it was porn sex. That's why it was terrible. Okay, now I got to stop you again because these are great things for people to talk about and you're just giving... So in a coupleship, like I understand, I think what you're saying, like he only knew porn sex, but what do you mean by that? It was extremely unintimate. It was always for him. My pleasure was never important uh, and it was quite aggressive. There was a distinct lack of eye contact. So he was a, a young male who had no idea how to be intimate or sexual, but wanted to have sex and, and was using you for sex and you didn't really want to or even understand the nature of what was happening between you, in a sense. He understood that, I think. Yeah, and he, he would always tell me, like, you know, at the end, like, you're not very good. Like, oh, you should really change X, Y, Z about your body because that's not good. Because I wasn't a porn star and I didn't know what to do. So he was, it was very humiliating for me. And you could just tell his standard was something that wasn't really actually real. So an 18-year-old girl's not going not gonna to do anything for him. Well, especially an 18-year-old girl who's lacking self-esteem. Yeah, who's had really. problems really fitting. You know, part high school stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I have one of the things that, that we talk about with young porn addicts is that, you know, they, some of them have profound early trauma and the kinds of addictions that most of the people I work with struggle with, but some of them just use porn to not have to deal with high school. They didn't get picked for a team. They didn't have any friends and wanted to date them. But the place they felt like they were wanted, important, especially was with the porn. And then even if they're not addicted, they're still like 23 and they've never had sex and have no idea how to or how to ask someone out. Or So even for the average kid who's trying to find their way through when they're exposed to porn at an early age and then they're dealing with all the challenges of high school, you know, it's, it's not that hard to want to opt out for a while. The problem is trying to opt back in. 
when you start that want to start the healthy date and healthy sex and help and you're all you know is porn and bad relationships. Yep. 100%. Which is where you were. And then what happened? How did you find any kind of healing or wh- did you go to therapy or Yeah, oh, therapy is my favorite activity. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Everyone get on the therapy. Uh yeah, I didn't start at therapy. Um <laughs> oh, I just had the most profound healing in therapy because I had I had trauma and I had abandonment issues from my upbringing. I had, you know, feelings of loss and feeling like I was unworthy and unloved. I just had layers of trauma. So actually sitting down with a professional who was trained in that stuff, she was able to, like I saw her every two weeks throughout five years. She walked me through so much stuff that I couldn't really, you know, I couldn't go up to people from high school or even my parents just because of the way they were at the time. I couldn't really get forgiveness and have a conversation. So I had to work through it just sort of one-sided, which was really hard. But she helped me to do that and to, to understand what was really going on inside of me. What did I really desire? What were those unmet emotional needs that I had, um, which were sending me to porn? Because I wasn't looking for sex. I was looking for affectionate Escape, and, distraction. Yeah. And just like, you know, a, a father figure, a mother figure, the feelings of control, all of that. So you can play all this out in fantasy in the porn, right? Oh, yeah. It's great. I mean, no, it's not. It felt great at the time, but ultimately led to unhealthy, a very unhealthy Alice, <laughs> not able to relate to people. So yeah, therapy was just a huge part of healing for me because when I healed those, those broken places and when I was able to acknowledge what my needs were and have them met in a non-sexual, non-porn way, platonic friendships and purpose and hobbies and therapy, you know, I had less need to go out and find porn and use it because I was becoming happier and I was healing. People have all kinds of concepts of what therapy is or what it might do. And you know, at its most basic level, I'm going to do a little cheating here and, and tell a secret. Out of its most basic level, it's a form of reparenting. It's I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I'm going to witness the things you have to say, and I'm not going to be uncomfortable and I'm not going to shame you. And I'm going to help you make sense of them because you couldn't make sense of them before. And I'm going to rely on your natural ability to heal in the presence of someone who's loving and supportive and nurturing and, and clarifying and, you know, doesn't play out their stuff with you like healthy parents do. So in a way, you know, therapy is a form of getting what you didn't get when you were younger, just enough of it so that you can find your way to healthier relationships, healthier sexuality, healthier uh, choices. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's so healing when you haven't known that for a long time. You're very fortunate to have found someone, I don't know who your therapist was, but someone who really, you know, some people go through many folks before they get to someone they really feel that, but you were, you were for, fortunate right out of the box. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I didn't think anything of it at the time. I was like, oh, you know, it's therapists, their job is to, to do that. But I now know that it takes some people, you know, multiple attempts to find the right fit, just the right fit. But yeah, I had a beautiful, a beautiful therapist. I invited her to my wedding, actually. <laughs> It's almost like a parent, again, coming in and saying, I acknowledge, I witness, I support, and I validate, you know? Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com or call us at 747-234-4325.
So you actually found someone you fell in love with and got married. Had the porn, had you been working on the porn issues for a while and they'd gotten lessened? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this, so Lucas, my husband, we'd actually been friends since high school, just friends, nothing more. Um, but we stayed in touch and he was actually the guy who uh, empowered me to break up with, you know, the porn, porn sex guy. Yeah. Jerk guy from when I was 18. You know, he was like, Alice, I can see that you don't realize that you have a choice, but you can actually leave him and you should because he's hurting you. And I was like, oh, I didn't know I actually could do that. I thought I had to stay with him because I don't know, as he said. And so he was the one who empowered me to leave. And then seven years later, we started dating. And then, you know, within the year we were married because we knew it worked. So I hate to say meant to be or anything like that, but when I hear stories of, well, we grew up in high school and we kind of knew each other when we were 12, you know, and then we rediscovered, I have to say, well, those are the kind of relationships that, that you know, you, that's what you really want. Like someone has so much in common and, and you start off as friends and like, so, so marriage is a good thing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, yeah, amazing. How does your husband deal with this issue of having a wife who has sexual issues? Oh my God, my wife's a whore, my wife's a slut, my wife's, you know, all the things that can go through a man's head. How did he deal? How did you guys deal with that? Yeah. Oh, he's great. He's the most relaxed and loving guy in the world. So, I mean, he was one of the first people I told back when we were just friends that I had a problem. When I hit my rock bottom, I was like, dude, I have a problem. Like, dude, it's porn. I know, yeah. I'm in and I want to yeah. be out. Because <laughs> he was a safe person. You know, he's non judgmental. He took anything in his stride and he was like, all right, I'll help you. I'll look after you. I'm here. So he knew from when we were friends that I had porn stuff. I'd started the Grace Spot, um, which is my, my ministry for women struggling with porn. I'd started that before we were dating. And so he, he'd heard my talks, he'd heard my whole story. He knew it all. So he knew what he was getting into. He knew you better than your parents did, that's for sure. 100%. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, when we started dating, he said, you know, I know all of your history, Alice, and I am not scared one bit. Let's do this. And I was like, oh, I love you. Mm. (laughs) Well, right, but I'm scared of my history, so you can be not scared for me, right? Yeah, so he's empowered me the whole journey. So I just want to say that just for everybody that, you know, Alice, I'm sure this is part of who you are because I sense it when I talk to you, there's a warmth and a kindness and just a sweetness about you. And that may have enabled you to help people like this find you. But in the real world, outside of the family that had its own rules and structure that didn't work for you growing up, you have gravitated to healthy women to support you, healthy men to love you. I guess in a lot of ways, you might even be fairly healthy. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? I think I'm pretty healthy. I think I have not always been, but I've done a lot of hard work, you know, through the therapy, through accountability and facing a lot of fears around engaging with normal people again. It was really hard. What was the fear before? They'll see through me. They'll see who I am. They'll know that I'm not worthy like that. I had so much fear and, you know, I also had, I had PTSD. So every person for me was a threat. They were going to hurt me. So I was always on alert. I was always afraid and I wouldn't let myself be known because there was the fear of being like physically and emotionally harmed. Or neglected, it sounds like. I mean, if you're not being harmed, then no one's talking to you and not letting you know what's going on and keeping secrets. And So you're a healthy person who had a rough ride and, you f- and, and the, the porn, it sounds like, was a way of tolerating that rough ride. But then you got rid of the ride and the porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what strikes me and I want to share with the audience is how common a story this is and how rarely we hear it from women. 
And that's not because it's not a common story among women. Um, you've heard Erica Gar- Garza speak here with me early in the podcast series. She was a woman who struggled with porn, wrote about it. Women get caught up with porn. And it's interesting. I want to say this, Alice, for the audience. Boys and girls get caught up with porn often for different reasons. Uh, a boy will often get caught up because of the hot sexual images that he's seeing, and he wants to get off to that, or he wants to find out what it's all about, and then he's already masturbating into it. Girls may find their way into it because they're comparing themselves to other people's bodies, because they want to understand what sex is and no one has taught them, because they want to understand what an adult woman's body does and is. And, and as a result, unfortunately, some of the girls get into the porn and then they can't get out. Because it isn't just, as you said, about a learning experience, it becomes a go-to way of coping in a dysfunctional childhood. And God, is there, could there be more shame than for a girl who's looking at a lot of porn? Wow. Especially if you're shame-based, like that would have been another reason to really hate yourself, I would think. Oh, totally. Just added another another reason. <laughs> well, as a Christian virgin girl, that's who you're supposed to be, and yet you're looking at all this hardcore pornography. And, you know, we talk a lot in addiction, all addictions, about compartmentalization, about I'm one person over here and I'm another person over here and these parts of my life never touch. I wonder if that was true for you. Yeah. Oh, it definitely felt like it. You know, especially as I was older, I studied at Bible college. I was actually working in a church. You know, I had the whole, you know, I was a children's entertainer. I did face painting. I had the whole good motherly vibe, Christian girl mask, like had that down. But then I had this whole other personality that was like this sex fiend. I couldn't get enough porn and, you know, fantasy and thinking about men's bodies and stuff. Yeah, I felt like a liar, but like I had these, you know, two masks that I would wear. And that just added to the shame. I was like, well, now I'm lying about who I am. And then part of, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. And then no one really knows you because these people know this and those people know that, but no one really knows all of you. And then I would imagine, I hear this too, you can't ever really feel loved because the people in this community, well, if they knew that about you, they wouldn't love you. And the people in this other community, it's like, well, if they knew that, they think you were, there's kind of no way to feel whole and loved when you're splitting yourself in half like that. Yeah. I think as I healed, you know, I discovered what, what my true spirituality was, you know, when I was younger, it was, it was my parents' rules. It wasn't spirituality. It was rules and it was religion. And it was what I was supposed to be. Uh, As I healed, I discovered, well, who do I say God is? What do I say spirituality is for me? And what does it mean? And I pursued my own, my own way of doing that. And for me, it's now real and it's mine. You are real and your spirituality is real. You are, have both feet on the ground. Yeah. And, and now I know that there's, you know, I still like mess up and, you know. Really? You're not perfect? I know, crazy. I used to think I was supposed to be, um, but I've learned now. I don't have to be perfect. I can still have lapses. And that, you know, that's something I need to learn from. And a lapse would be under really uncomfortable circumstances. You went through some stress or something happened and you ended up back in the porn and then bounced back and said, that's not where I want to be. And yeah. started working like that. Yeah, definitely. It's just like, oh, that was, wow, I was stressed. And I, you know, I watched a movie I knew I shouldn't have, got triggered, mm-hmm, watched mm-hmm. porn. Okay, filtering software back on. Let's tell someone and move on. As opposed to I'm a piece of crap, even in my healing, I can't get it right. Uh, All of those messages where you could have gone had you not had that therapy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't have time for for those kind of beliefs anymore. I just, I know in my heart, those are total lies. I'm incredibly worthy and I'm healthy and loved and I have a good life. So I don't need to spiral. It's okay. I can move forward. Tell me about Restored then as your efforts starting to give back now and Spot. Yeah. So even in the midst of my struggle with porn, I knew I was going to write a book. I was like, okay, 
there are no resources out there for women. Or there are resources, but they're very, very few. Hard to find. It feels like nothing when, you know, you, you Google help for women and the tsunami of masculine pronouns just like drowns you. So I, you know, I'd always loved speaking. I'd loved writing. And I also just kind of loved shocking people and doing something a bit, a bit wild. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's surprising to us somehow. I decided I'm going to write a book on porn for women. And that was one of my big motivators mm. to recover. My best friend and accountability partner, she was like, Alice, you need to deal with your shit <laughs> before you write your book on helping other people deal with it. Excuse my language. And you don't get to the book unless you get do your own work. Yeah, she was. so that was my, my motivation. And I had my fantastic accountability partner to kick me in the butt. And last year, I finally felt, you know, it was the right time. I felt, I felt like I was informed enough and I had enough, you know, hindsight and wisdom. I was ready. So this was my solution to, you know, that void for women trying to recover. And what are the, I mean, are you giving them in, you know, there are many ways to write a book like this. I've written a bunch of them. Are you giving them your story? Like, this is what I went through. And then here's how you can heal. Are you saying more kind of, you know, here's some exercises, activities. How did you, how did you conceive this and, and write Restored? It's um, it's a bit of everything. Like I knew that I wanted to include my my whole story, um, because I think that's really important for women to share their stories, put a face to it, um, and to tell other women, hey, I've got a story. I'm a woman, and you don't, you're not alone, and you don't have to be ashamed. So it starts off with my story, um, but I also knew it needed to be incredibly practical because when you're you know in the in the mess of struggling with porn, everything is chaos and everything is hard. So. What I desired so much when I was struggling was just a book that would say, hey, do this. Step one, do this. Here's some encouragement. Here's a story from someone else who did it. And, you know, here's some comfort for when you mess it up. Try again. Uh, so that's what I've tried to do. It's, you can kind of separate it into three sections. Um, you've got your, you know, restrict, how to get away from porn and kind of keep it out of your computers and all of that. So contain, kind of contain the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, then you've got uh, reflect which is reflecting on your inner pain, inner child work. So that's like looking at the past and how you got here and doing some sort of some inventories of your history and yeah. that kind of thing. Because if you don't heal that stuff, then, you know, the porn's going to come back. <laughs> well, then I'll tell you what, I, I'll add to that. If you don't heal that stuff, then there's always, then you'll always hate yourself because yeah. so many of us come through childhood thinking that we are the problem and it takes many years to realize we became the problem, but we didn't start out that way. And, uh, so I'm sorry, please continue. What's the third part of the book? Um, and the third part is to restore because I wasn't going to leave it at, you know, dig up all of your pain. <laughs> Here's your problem. Mm -hmm. No, you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so it ended on restore, restoring like healthy intimacy to your life, friendships, um, dating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I talked a bit about, you know, sex in marriage after you've been a porn addict. What does that look like? How do you deal? Oh, I'd love to, you know, you know what, let's do a separate show about that. I would love to talk about that. I think an idea of, because everybody wants to, you know, a lot of folks are able to, I wouldn't say a lot of folks, but people who are dedicated are able to put some of the behaviors and problems aside, but yeah. then they have no idea how to have healthy sexuality, joyous sexuality, really. They just kind of, you know, I don't know if I said this here or not, but I, you know, I've been going to 12-step meetings and support groups for sexual issues a long time. And I mean, longer than you've probably been alive. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
And, you know, whenever I go to a meeting and someone says they have 10 years of sexual sobriety, and I know how hard our struggle is. Mm. I know what I'm going to hear when I ask them what it's been like. I was like, what has your 10 years been like? Oh, I haven't had sex for 10 years. (sighs) And I just think, you know, I'd rather have the problem. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, that's not the answer either is to, you know, just stop everything. It is when you're alcoholic, right? You got to stop drinking, stop using. If you're a gambler, you got to stop gambling. But if you have an eating disorder, you don't stop eating. Yeah, And if you have sexual problems, you don't stop being sexual. You have to find health. Yeah, totally. But you'll gravitate toward that as I think you probably did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You found your way to health, right? Yeah, definitely. And like work through all that stuff. Sex in marriage, uh, especially from my Christian audience. That's a that's a big question that comes up. Like, oh, have I ruined myself? Like, okay. So I talk about that. And yeah, I'd love to do another podcast with you on that. You know, we used to talk about in the day in recovery that people who were starting all over were like virgins. And what we, the way we framed that and talked about it was that since you haven't really had an intimate sexuality, loving sexuality, in a way you never had a chance. You know, you got caught up in a world that met some needs that you needed for survival, but really don't ultimately heal or help you love. And so maybe when you start this journey, you're starting all over again with your sexuality and saying, you know, I'm free to explore in a way that's healthy and connect with people and not hate myself for it. And it's just such a gift. So I understand, I mean, you're talking to someone who has a fair amount of partners in the past, but I do feel that love and relationship and commitment and and connection are a whole different kind of, in fact, I'm going to ask you this. Do you experience sexuality differently with your husband when it's a pleasure, a good experience than you did? In other words, is the whole experience of sex different than when you were acting sex out? Because I have found and heard that even just the physical sensations of being sexual are different when you're in an intimate relationship with someone you love. It's almost like it comes from a different part of the brain. Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah. I mean, my previous sexual experiences were all bad in so many ways. Um, <laughs> so it, it wasn't hard to get better than that. Disconnected. Yeah, disconnected mm-hmm. and unhealthy. And, and I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be watching the porn. I didn't want to be in that relationship. You didn't want to be in your body, probably. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, with my husband, I want to be there. I'm enjoying it. Um, and he actually, he actually loves me. And he actually gives me attention. Actually, really? Yeah, actually? Like, actually it's crazy. <laughs> I hope so. He married you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's totally different. Like, I mean, there's actually pleasure. That's, that's a huge difference. <sighs> Never experienced that before. And before, what was it before? I'm going to guess at what it was. Before it was relief, maybe? And now it's yeah. pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Relief, like, okay, I did that. I'm over, Now I'll move on. And then now it's, oh. And there's no shame attached to it, which is a first in my life. That's really great. Yeah, you can actually experience it without being stuck in a shame mindset. You're very young. Um, you have yet to have family and kids in that sense. And, and you're not a therapist. You are a, a woman who went to therapy, pulled herself by the, uh, up by the bootstraps, started growing and saying, I, I, I want to I, I share this with other women to help them heal. What's your next step? This year, uh, I am planning on writing another book, um, this time uh, for church leaders uh, who are mostly men, how to address the issue of women in pornography. How about women's sexuality at all? <laughs> yeah, just women. <laughs> right, or women. <laughs> because look, a lot of them just, they have no idea that women would ever look at porn. I speak at events and they just are gobsmacked that a woman would look at porn. So we need to get that baseline. No less to the point where she would become obsessed and lose her life. Yeah. So I want to just help them to understand the reality, what's actually happening, some stories, um, and how to practically address it in a church context 
so that they can start to change that culture of very deep shame and and a very masculine kind of culture. Um, so that is my that's my big aim for this year. Excellent. Yeah, and to just keep keep sharing my story and and walking with other women and just letting them know that hey, you're not alone, and you can actually heal. So, Alice, if somebody wanted to find you, and I know there are a lot of women listening who will. And let me put this out there actually before I say that. If there are any men listening and thinking, oh, she sounds really hot. No, she looks at porn. I want to write and talk to her. Please don't. First of all, she's married. Second of all, she's in recovery. And she's going to probably send it to me. And then I'm going to write you and take you on. So don't do that. But if you're a woman who is seeking information or help or a married couple, how would they find you and get information or or learn more about what you're trying to do? Yeah, they can um, get in touch with me uh, through my website, which is thegracespot.com. T-H-E-G-R-A-C-E-S-P-O-T dot com? Yep. Just like it sounds? Great. <laughs> yep. Um, or they can email me directly um, at mm-hmm. alice at thegracespot dot com. Wow. Yeah, those are the best ways that they can get in touch. If they're interested in my book, they can find it on Amazon or on Book Depository. Uh, and I'm also on social media and all of that. Ladies, this is the person that you've been looking for. Those of you who have struggled with this, the woman who's not going to shame you, the woman who you don't have to pay, who's going to give you some little direction, maybe a little advice, tell you to read something and set you on your way. And and maybe that's, a, maybe, you know, Alice, the gift we have in this particular podcast is maybe there's one woman listening who's been questioning her behavior who says, you know, she sounds like she's pretty happy. Maybe I could be too. And if we can offer that hope to folks, you know, we are doing our jobs. So thanks, Alice Teller, for joining us. The book is Restored, A Woman's Guide to Healing from Pornography, or rather Overcoming Pornography. And my guest is Alice Taylor. Alice, you rock, girl. We're going to do more. We're going to talk about healthy sex for sex and porn addicts in a relationship when we have another time to talk, and we'll make that soon. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, great. (laughs) Cool. Thank you. Thanks for your time. I love talking to you. Bye for now. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.